games. Any other use of this telecast or any pictures, descriptions, or accounts of the game without the NFL's consent is prohibited. Welcome to the history of the NFL. I'm Cav Manning from the Lingus Mafia podcast, and I'm going to take you on a journey from 1920 all the way to 2020. Originally, I wanted to do weekly specials on each team that's in the NFL, their history, how they got their names, what year did they come into the league, how'd they get their colors, how many Hall of Famers did they have, how many championships, and it will happen, but I thought it was important to go back to the start. Go back to see how the NFL was formed, how the games evolved, the difference in the rules, the teams that first formed the league, and you won't believe the teams that first formed this. In this special, you will learn things that you never heard of before, people you've never heard of, hell, cities you've never heard of. Most everyone who's listening to this is a fan of football as we know it, but how did we get here? Before there was a Derrick Henry, there was a Tex Hammer. Before there was a Drew Brees, there was an Al Mart. Before Jerry Rice, Charlie Matthews. And before the Houston Texans, a Dayton Triangles. What, you've never heard of these people before? These are some of the people that made up the early years in the sport. So sit back, relax, enjoy, and most of all, learn the history of the National Football League. The date was September 17, 1920, the day the American Professional Football Association was born. Two years later, the APFA was changed to the National Football Association. Football in the 1920s was much different than football in 2020. Out of the 40 games played, 36 of them were shutouts. Teams averaged 10 points per game. Field dimensions were the same as they are today, but quite different in the rules. When you would go out of bounds, the ball was placed on the next play a yard in bounds from where you went out. You imagine how the offensive line had a look at that point. This rule was changed to what we see now in 1933. All passes with the ball would have to be five yards behind the line of scrimmage. This is why you always hear the term, before the innovation of the forward pass. Now let's settle back in your favorite TV 50-yard line box seat as we view the highlights of this week's professional football games. So who were the first champions of this new football league? Well, it was the Akron Pros. And who did they play in the championship game? Well, there was no championship game. In the springtime, they would be told who the champions were, and they would have to wait for a vote. And you think the way they rank college teams is a joke. In the first decade of this new upstart league, 35 franchises would fail. While by the mid-1920s, four franchises are still around today. Can you guess? I'll wait. The Chicago Bears, the Green Bay Packers, the New York Giants, and the Cardinals, by way of Chicago. Better now known as the Arizona Cardinals. 1936 is the first year that no team folded or added to the league. No team from 1920 kept the same name and location overall. Here are your fun facts 
for the Roaring Twenties. See, we're about to drop a lot of facts on you here. Just the facts, ma'am. That's the fact, Jack! That's the fact, Jack! Fact. Fact! These are the facts. The 1920s. These were the leaders in stats for 1920. Passing yards, Al Mart with the Dayton Triangles. He threw for 591 yards. Compared to 2018, where Ben Roethlisberger of the Steelers had 5,129. Rushing yards, Dutch Steemerman with the Decatur Staleys had 274 yards. In 2018, Ezekiel Elliott from the Cowboys had 1,434. Receiving yards was Dutch Thiel, a Dayton Triangle. He got 181 yards. Compared to 2018 with Julio Jones on the Atlanta Falcons who had 1,677. Big time numbers I know, but a big difference from year one until the end of that decade when we had a record for 1,677 yards in passing, 552 yards for rushing, and 449 yards in receiving. The record for the 1920s for rushing was 789. This was in 1924 by Tex Hammer. Now that's a football name. He played for the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. They were an upper area from Philly, and they were an independent league that got in the NFL in 1924. The Yellow Jackets absorbed the Union Quakers of Philadelphia in the Pennsylvania League. The record for receiving yards this decade was 579 by Charles Matthews by the Green Bay Packers in 1924. The original fee to get a franchise in the APFA was 100 bucks. The original teams never ended up paying. Here's a fact you've probably never heard. 1,355 miles. What's that? That's the closest the Los Angeles Buccaneers ever came to playing in their namesake city. The team played all road games in its one season of 1927. The team was made up of all Californians, but the team was based in Chicago. Never played west of Kansas City. 1,000%. That's the home winning record of Jim Thorpe's Orang Indians over the 1922-1923 season. Here's the catch. They only played one game at home. They beat the Columbus Panhandles. Unfortunately, they went 2-17 on the road. 40 points. One man scored 40 points in one game. And no, it wasn't Al Bundy. You want to take a guess at what his position was? Ernie Nevers from the Chicago Cardinals had scored six touchdowns and four extra points when beating the Chicago Bears on Thanksgiving 1929. This record still holds to this day. By the way, if you were wondering what position he was, he was a fullback. What are those? The 1930s. During the past season, thousands of fans have seen the teams of the National Football League in action for the first time. The popularity of postgraduate football as played by the National Football League has grown by leaps and bounds because it is a clean, fair game 
packed with plenty of thrills and excitement. Some of the greatest college stars of all time are now playing National League football. As you will see, every player and every team plays to win. They have the same pride in their game that they have when they played for their college teams. This is one reason why a game between two National League teams is similar in spirit to a game played between two rival colleges or universities. Now for the high spots of some of these games with all their thrills and color. Red Barber, famous Wheaties sports announcer, will describe the game. So let's kick off, Red. The first ever draft took place in Chicago in 1936. Who had the first pick? It was Philadelphia. They took a guy by the name of Jay Burwagner. He was a running back from the University of Chicago. So it made sense that they traded his rights to the Bears. They needed a tackle, they got Art Buss. Jay said he wanted $15,000 per year. He told this to George Hallis, who threw around nickels like they were manhole covers. George offered him 13500 It was turned down by Jay. He would go on to work for a Chicago rubber company. Years later, he would say he should have taken the offer. The 1940s. In 1940, the Bears beat the Washington Redskins 73-0. They lose so many balls in the stands from the extra point. They have to use practice balls and tell the Bears no more kicking. You have to run or pass for conversions. Watch now as Chicago's George Wilson takes out not one, but two Redskins. And Osmanski completes a 68-yard touchdown. Praise on the In 1943, the Eagles and Steelers joined teams for one year. There was a man shortage due to the war. The team was called the Steagles. In 1948, Fred Gehrig from the Rams paints one of the leather helmets dark blue and then paints yellow horns on it. After that, they would all follow and have logos on their helmets. The 1950s. Professional football's finest moment is at hand. It's the world's championship between the Los Angeles Rams and the Cleveland Browns. In 1951, the Pro Bowl is born. Can't we find a DeLorean and go back and stop this from happening? To say that the Pro Bowl is boring or bad is to dig up and beat a dead horse that's already been in the ground for a decade. But things are only getting worse for the game that's meant to showcase the NFL's biggest and brightest names. Among all the All-Star games hosted each year by the major sports leagues in the US, the Pro Bowl consistently sets the standard for how to make the biggest mockery of the sport it's meant to honor. Just take a look at this past year, even the weather conspired against the NFL to create one of the ugliest and most boring games yet seen in the history of sport. 
I think more than anything, this clip of Jason Witten breaking the trophy is the perfect allegory for everything the game has become in recent years. 1952. In 1952, the Dallas Texans fold. This is the last time the NFL would have a franchise go out of business. 1955. In 1955, face masks are mandatory. And in 1959, some guy named Vince Lombardi is named the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. What the hell's going on out here? If you look at this play, what we're trying to get is a seal here, and a seal here, and try to run this play in the alley. And the AFL is formed. The 1960s. Hello, everybody. I'm Lindsey Nelson with Chris Schenkel here at City Stadium in Green Bay, Wisconsin. The first time that the Pro Championship has ever been played here in Green Bay. And of course, it's a big day. The temperature is about 20 degrees. The field has been covered all week with a tarp and a layer of hay and about 14 inches of snow on top of that. It's all been peeled off and the field's been priced off and it's fairly fast. There are some frozen spots and when the team's warmed up, the Green Bay Packers were wearing cleats. The New York Giants were split about 50-50, half in cleats and half in sneakers. In 1961, the last of the old guard teams get logos on their helmets. That would be the Bears, Giants, and Packers. The television fee, and to tell you about this million dollar game, here is Chris Schenkel. 1966. At this moment, bands are massed down to our left. The Coliseum floor is green. To our right, the yellow end zone with Chiefs spelled out in red letters and the American Football League emblem. To our left, in green letters spelled out Packers with the NFL familiar shield. And in a few moments, I'm sure that we will have our national anthem. And George Rademan, there's been a lot of talk, there's been a lot written about this AFL-NFL championship, but if I ask you what thoughts are fleeting through your mind at this moment as a former great pro quarterback yourself, what would you say? Well, I'm uh, sort of sympathizing, I think, at this time with those 80 fellows who are down there in their locker rooms who have not come out on the, the field yet. It's indescribable, the feelings that a, not just a professional football player, but any athlete has before a great contest such as this. They know that millions of people will be watching them, will be listening to the radio account of this game, thousands of people here in the stands, and it's just indescribable, that nervous tension that builds up the game means so much to both of these teams. And frankly, it's not the money. Now, there's a difference of $7,500 between the winning and losing shares today. The winning team will receive $15,000. Each player on the losing team will receive $7,500. And many people think, well, this is sufficient to make the difference right there. Certainly, this does mean something to these people, but actually, it's much more than that. There's tremendous pride, as we mentioned before. It's not just two football teams. This is the entire National Football League against the entire American football league today a game that people have been looking forward to for seven years and don't think that those 80 fellows 40 on each team don't feel this right now in their locker rooms they're all alone there and the tension is just tremendous in 1966 the Super Bowl is born the 11 and 2 Kansas City Chiefs versus the 12 and 2 Green Bay Packers the score is 35 to 10 unfortunately Green Bay wins the Kansas City Chiefs are willing to walk to the sideline, and the Kansas City Chiefs, many of them, are walking toward the Green Bay Packers. Cheryl Hedrick shaking the hand of Bart Starr. All of them have come over and are talking to the Packers. That's the end of the game with the final score, Green Bay 35 and Kansas City 10. We'll be back in a moment with the final wrap-up of today's game.
Jim Simpson along with George Reiterman back at the Coliseum in Los Angeles. And don't go away yet. We expect to be able to go to the Green Bay Packers dressing room in a few moments where George Reiterman and Pat Summerall are. And we'll be talking with the Packers and, of course, their winning coach, Vince Lombardi. While we have this opportunity of this exciting day, and you may ask, how can a 35 to 10 ball game be exciting? Well, it was, because it was 14 to 10 at the half, and of course, this game meant so much. It meant the National Football League, for the first time, putting its prestige and its experience on the line against the seven-year-old American Football League, which for years has wanted to do just that, put its prestige on the line against the National Football League. Well, it's the Green Bay Packers and the NFL that came off with a 35 to 10 victory. But a reminder that it was 14 to 10 at the half. And again, one more time, because this game will be chronicled in your newspapers and in magazines for some weeks to come. Let us go over the scoring plays. The 1970s. From the Kingdom and the Great Northwest, Seattle, CBS Force presents the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Seattle Seahawks. Hello, everyone. I'm Jim Thacker with Johnny Unitas, and the two youngest teams in pro football meet today, and what will they call this? What else? Expansion Bowl Two. Well, the Buccaneers, of course, Jim, their great defense anchored by the Selman brothers, along with Dave Pierre in the middle and Council Rulo, have only permitted 55 points scored against them so far this year. In 1970, the AFC and NFC are named since the AFL merger. Monday Night Football debuts. And all players have their names on their jerseys. 1971. In 1971, the Boston Patriots become the New England Patriots. 1973. 1973, zero and double zero are prohibited as numbers to be worn by players. 1976. 1976, the Seattle Seahawks and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are founded. Side note, the Bucks' first game was September 12, 1976. Their first win was December 11, 1977, beating the Saints in New Orleans 33-14, creating a winning streak of two as they would win against the St. Louis Cardinals the next week, 17 to seven. Winning their first of the year, that's it. A final score, Seattle Seahawks 30 and the Buccaneers of Tampa Bay 23. A close but exciting game. Very exciting football game. We didn't think it was gonna be like this when we first started out, but both teams playing very, very well offensively. And I know Tampa was a little bit disappointed that they did not play better defensively. And there it is. It went right down to the final minutes before it was decided. A seven-point victory for the Seattle Seahawks over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The 1980s. The Cowboys and the 49ers today for the NFC Championship and the place with the Cincinnati Bengals in Super Bowl CBS Sports presents the National Football League. Today, the Dallas Cowboys against the San Francisco 49ers. 1989. 1989, the Jerry Jones era begins. He buys the Cowboys for $140 million. As of 2018, Forbes estimates the Cowboys are worth 
$4.8 billion, making them the most valuable sports franchise. are now permanent. I didn't know it took this long before bye weeks were a normal thing. 1994. 1994, the salary cap starts. 1995. 1995, the Carolina Panthers and the Jacksonville Jaguars have their first season. Two years later, they're in the conference championship. Both the Rams and the Raiders leave LA at the same time. And the Cleveland Browns become the Baltimore Ravens. 1998, ESPN debuts the first down yellow marker line. 1999. 1999, God help us, the Cleveland Browns are once again a team. The 2000s. Super Bowl 36 coming up between the St. Louis Rams Tom Brady injured his ankle against Pittsburgh. Drew Bledsoe came in and replaced him, and they weren't sure who was going to start. And then we went to practice on Wednesday, and and, and Tom Brady looked okay. He's going to wear a brace on his left ankle. Here's Brady again. Up the middle, Tom, a 
and it's Troy Brown, and he gets out of bounds, and they might be in Vinatieri's range. Right now, it would be a 53-yarder. Here comes the blitz, and here's Brady. He dumps it to Wiggins down to the 30, and now no question about it. They are in range, but they've got to hurry. Maybe he can spike it right here and that's, stop the that's clock. That's what he'll do. He'll spike it here. Two of the greatest kicks that I've ever seen in my life. Here comes one of greater importance if he makes it. And it's right down the pipe. Adam Vinatieri. No time on the clock. And the Patriots have won Super Bowl 36. Unbelievable. That's the way you should win a Super Bowl. Man, I mean, they come in here against all odds. They were backed up. They had no timeouts. And they drove the ball down and got in field goal position. That was a great, great drive. I'll tell you what, there's Bob Kraft, Robert Kraft, the owner of the Patriots. Oh. Find me somebody to hug. Let's go. In 2000, the No Fun League starts to rear its ugly head by giving flags for unsportsmanlike conduct for multiplayer celebrations. Interception return touchdown, and that ties in with Rod Woodson for the all-time lead for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tremendous job by Gay understanding what was going to happen on this play. We have a penalty marker on the field. Here's John Perry. Unsportsmanlike conduct, excessive celebration number 22. That penalty will be enforced. On the kickoff. 2002. In 2002, David Carr is sacked 76 times in the first season of the Houston Texans. In comparison, Dan Marino was sacked 73 times in six seasons. Third and 14. Again, they're coming in quickly. Nowhere to go. And another sack. In 1969, on the eve of the NFL-AFL merger, Pete Rozelle is asked, what does he see for the future of the NFL? He says, I see 32 teams, two conferences, each conference with four divisions and four teams in each division. In 2002, the Houston Texans joined the NFL and this is exactly what happens. This is Nostradamus type of shit. 2007 to 2010. This is the AP Sports Minute. Nearly two years of frustration ended for the Lions and their fans with a 19-14 win over Washington that snapped a 19-game losing streak. New coach Jim Schwartz had the Lions come out of the locker room after the game for a victory lap to celebrate with the fans. The Detroit Lions, rebuilding since 1957, lose 26 home games in a row. In a row? And the kick is up and it's good! And the Detroit Lions! Road losing streak in history in 26 games. And the Detroit Lions put a dagger into Tampa Bay's playoff hopes and win the game. 
by a score. The 2010s. 2014. Technology comes to football with tablets for replay. Notice anything different down at the field during Sunday's preseason NFL game between the Giants and the Bills? Coaching has gone high tech. Teams are using Surface tablets on the sidelines, even upstairs in the coaching booth, to analyze plays and miscues, even adjust formations. It's all part of the NFL's $400 million five-year deal with Microsoft. So much for huddling around old school binders and shuffling through black and white photos. Don't worry, those photos still exist for coaches who are a little leery of this whole technology thing, or just for those guys prone to tech failure. Buffalo Bills coach Doug Marone's Surface tablet didn't start working until halftime. For now, the lockdown tablets are hooked up to a closed network in the stadium. Coaches can only use them to look at photos. No internet access, no apps, no recording capability. For the NFL, this is a big step. For years, those bulky Motorola headsets were about as high-tech as coaching got. Now, not only are the Surface tablets in the hands of coaches, but the referees can use them for instant replays. Feel free to keep screaming at your TV over their bad calls, though. 2018. The league becomes pussified. Penalties for lowering your helmet. I thought this was football. NFL owners meetings today. Huge rule change. Any hit using the crown of the helmet is a 15-yard penalty for any player, and the league will discuss that player being ejected as well. Broncos insider Troy Rank talked to several Broncos defensive players today. All did not like this new rule. Safety Darian Stewart told Troy, quote, it's putting defenders in a tough spot. They should give us a warning first, like they do on a personal foul. 2020. In 2020, the estimated cost of the new LA Rams LA Chargers Stadium is $2 billion 600 million to build. In comparison, Lambeau Field in 1957 cost 960,000. In 1972, Arrowhead Stadium cost 43 million. If you build it, they will come. Clearly that's not related to just baseball. This is like the eighth wonder of the world in there. <laughs> it's insane. I didn't realize it was like this. The project Rams owner Stan Kroenke broke ground on some three and a half years ago will take your breath away when you see the sheer size and depth. The roof will be covered with 302 picture frames. So far, 122 have been installed. The two-sided video board will have 260 speakers. I think ultimately what is so special about this project is just the sheer size of the building, uh, the beautiful iconic nature of the architecture of the building. Every day, 3,500 people work here. They say it's 85% done, and it is scheduled to open this summer. We're currently standing on the eighth level, and as you can see, there's still seats above me. But once they finish and raise this scoreboard, the people up here will actually be looking down on the scoreboard. You'll basically see a, a 40 uh, foot high board from end zone to end zone. And it also gets more and more real when you sit here and think about two years from now, we'll be planning for Super Bowl right, 2022 right. in this building. Hopefully the Rams will be playing in it. The future home of NFL games, Super Bowls, and the Olympics shows you exactly what $5 billion will buy you these days. Here is your innovations to the game. 1921. In 1921, replaceable cleats are introduced. 1926. In 1926, players would not be allowed to be in the NFL until their college class graduated. 1929. 
1929, the first night game was had between the Providence Steamrollers and the Chicago Cardinals. The Cardinals won 16-0. Oh, and guess who scored those points? Yeah, Ernie Nevers. Remember him? 1939. In 1939, the first televised NFL game on October 2nd was the Brooklyn Dodgers versus the Philadelphia Eagles. The Dodgers won 23 to 14. The original 14 teams of 1920. There were 14 teams in 1920, and here's the rundown. The Chicago Cardinals, from Illinois. The Chicago Tigers from Illinois. The Decatur Staley's from Illinois. The Rock Island Independents from Illinois. The Hammond Pros from Indiana. The Muncie Flyers from Indiana. The Detroit Heralds from Michigan. The Akron Pros from Ohio. The Canton Bulldogs from Ohio. The Cleveland Tigers from Ohio. Yeah, there was two teams named the Tigers in this league. The Columbus Panhandles from Ohio. The Dayton Triangles from Ohio. The Buffalo All-Americans from New York. And the Rochester Jeffersons from New York. So if you're keeping track, that was four teams in Illinois, two teams in Indiana, five teams in Ohio, and two teams in New York. And two with the same name, the Tigers. And here's your rundown of all the world champions in the first decade of the sport we love called football. Nineteen twenty, the Akron Pros. Nineteen twenty one, the Chicago Staleys. Nineteen twenty two. The Canton Bulldogs. 1923, the Canton Bulldogs. 1924, the Cleveland Bulldogs. 1925, the Chicago Cardinals. 1926, the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets. 1927, the New York Giants. 1928, the Providence Steamrollers. 1929, the Green Bay Packers. So that's it. There is the full 100-year history of the NFL. I hope you were entertained and edumacated at the same time. Doing the research, I learned a lot about things I had no idea about, like teams I've never heard of. The fucking triangles, the All-Americans, hell, the panhandles. I'm gonna have to get a panhandles jersey. Uh, I wonder if they're an unlockable team in Madden also. For a continuation of this show, 
where I do each individual NFL team, all of their history, you're going to have to head on over to patreon.com slash lingusmafia as they will be released each week so you can listen to your own individual team. Also, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. That is at Lingus Mafia. For the Lingus Mafia podcast, I'm Cav Manning. <laughs>